And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the Tuesday edition of The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts, of course, as we kick off this really kind of the second trading day of October, entering into that seasonally strong period of the year. You know, we've been talking about this for a while yesterday. Importantly, yesterday, when you take a look at the market action, yeah, market action was weak yesterday. Bond yields were up because of a little bit stronger than expected uh, ISM manufacturing reports. But again, that's not surprising. Um, we've had very, very weak economic data on the manufacturing front. So seeing a bit of a bounce in that data is certainly not surprising because again, just as with anything uh, in the economy, you're gonna kind of go through, a, through these cycles where things speed up, they slow down, you get overbought, um, you know, or, or over in, in this case, you know, you produce a lot of inventory, there's uh, demand there for it. And then when that demand kind of evaporates a bit, you slow things down and then things kind of get out of stock. So you got to kind of do, go through a restocking cycle. And so we're, we're about to start this restocking cycle. So yeah, we're seeing new orders pick up because what's, what's about to happen, right? Halloween, second, uh, second largest shopping day of the year coming up. Then you've got Thanksgiving, you've got Christmas. So yeah, not surprising. We're seeing an uptick in some of this manufacturing data. It'll be short lived. But we are going to see some stronger manufacturing data here over the course of the next few months as we stock up for retail shopping season, right? I mean, this is what it's all about. Summer, we had a big decline because nobody was shopping by anything. Now it's going to turn here a bit. So again, seeing some stronger economic data here on the short-term front, not going to be a surprise at all. But that led to, you know, potentially concerns about stagflation yesterday. So interest rates were up a bit. Um, bond, yields were, uh, bond yields were up a bit yesterday. Stocks sold off early in the day, but what we've been seeing here specifically over the last uh, really kind of two weeks um, as we started kind of wrapping up September, even though we were having this fairly weak market action on a day-to-day -day basis, we kept seeing this kind of end of the day buying. And yesterday was a good case and point of that. Markets were down fairly decently mid-afternoon and then rallied back to break even right at the close of the day. So again, futures are a little bit weak again this morning. We'll see how things play out today. But again, we're, we're starting to see this kind of this positioning now. And again, you know, yesterday action in the market, not surprising, first day of the new quarter again, mutual funds, pension funds, et cetera, all kind of rebalancing for the new quarter of what's going on. Um, you know, so now we're gonna to start to see, you know, today, tomorrow, the next week, uh, kind of start to see this positioning now for this latter part of the year. And again, we're about to enter into earnings season. Uh, that should help buoy stocks here a bit. Estimates have come down a lot as we talked about yesterday. So again, that's gonna be a support for stock prices here in the near term. And again, as we just kind of keep looking out for the rest of this quarter, there's, there's supports um, on a lot of different fronts for the stock market going into the end of the year. Now, once we get into next year, as we talked about previously, all bets are off. You know, lots of, lots of bets right now that the economy is going to be stronger and we're going to be doing much better. But again, there's a lot of indicators out there from, um, you know, inverted yield curves, of course, but leading economic indicators remain negative. And again, when we take a look at uh, tightening lending standards from banks, that's starting to really weigh on consumers. Their ability to get credit is becoming a bit tougher. Corporations are having a tough time 
getting credit. And there's a big debt maturity starting next year that with higher rates, companies are going to have to refinance their debt at higher rates. Now, the mega caps, they took, a, they took advantage of those low rates we've had over the last couple of years. They refinanced a lot of their debt, brought their net interest costs down. But a lot of smaller mid-cap companies weren't able to do that. They're going to be facing this refinancing issue in the small to mid-cap space once we get into next year. So again, this is probably going to kind of edge towards large caps being a safer bet next year than small to mid-caps. But again, just something that we'll have to keep paying attention to. So, you know, there's a lot of moving parts here in the short term that are certainly confusing. You know, we've got, in, in, we've got some things pointing to inflation, other things pointing to, to slower rates of inflation. Uh, we get one report out on PCE says inflation's falling. Then we get stronger economic data out, which suggests inflation might go back up again. So it's very confusing for the markets right now. We don't really have a good footing here. We're going to figure that out here over the next couple of months, particularly as we head into the end of the year. But right now, there's a lot of variables at play. And, and again, it's this whole big guessing game right now about what the Fed's going to do next. Are they going to hike rates? Are they going to keep things where they are? Again, so this, this is what leads to this confusion in the overall market. And again, yesterday's market action was very bifurcated. Once again, mega caps leading the way with everything else pretty much in the red yesterday. So despite the fact the market ended flat yesterday, the actual underlying performance of the market was not that great um, in most of the other stocks in the index. Okay, here's what you need to know before the bell this morning. A uh, couple of interesting charts that are going on that I, I just want to kind of point your attention to. So first is the volatility index. Uh, the VIX had been, had been rising here over the last month or so, and when we talked about the fact that we'd had an extremely low volatility index and that that volatility index had been rising um, during that sell-off that we had in September. Seems to have peaked here. Um, MACD is getting pretty elevated here. So again, kind of watching for kind of that buy signal for the markets if we're going to get this seasonally strong period of the year. Um, we should see that MACD come over and give us a sell signal suggesting lower volatility in the market. So kind of one indicator just to kind of keep paying attention to uh, in the markets momentarily. Um, do you remember that story earlier in the year? And Michael, Michael Lee Woods and I both discussed this at length, was about the death of the dollar, right? We talked, everybody was concerned about the de-dollarization. And we kept telling you here on the show, that don't worry about de-dollarization. That's not going to happen. Yes, there were some, you know, concerns about BRIC countries getting together, having their own currency, and they're going to get off the dollar. Again, whenever you have high inflation, you should expect those type of stories because for other countries, as we explained previously, when inflation is high, that's an additional tax on their countries, and particularly if there's a deviation between the currencies as well. So they've got to figure out some way to combat the disparity between currency exchange rates and inflation all at the same time. And so that's why there were some stories about countries trying to figure out a different way to transact business. This was interpreted to the fact that the dollar was declining at the time and everybody's like, oh my gosh, you know, everybody's getting off the dollar. Well, since then, we've had a very, very strong rally in the dollar. The dollar is getting extremely overbought here. Um, so we should expect some more weakness in the dollar um, as we get further into this year. But right now, that dollar rally continues to remain extremely strong. Why is that? Well, that's because of foreign inflows of currencies into the U.S. dollar. As the dollar strengthens, foreign inflows, reserve currencies, come into the dollar. And basically, that goes into buying U.S. treasuries. And that's why there's still a lot of treasury inflows, uh, money going into treasuries right now. 
the inflows are very strong, uh, one thing that's been driving yields higher is the shorting of the market against the bonds. So again, it's been a lot of uh, you know, uh, speculators and pension funds, hedge funds, et cetera, shorting bonds, driving yields higher. But underneath the surface, there's a lot of inflows going into treasuries, particularly from the inflows of foreign countries into U.S. treasuries because of the stronger dollar. And again, this is, you, know, the, you see this rally here. And again, we, we're coming back from a bit of a ways. I and mean, if we take a, a longer term picture, uh, this was the, the concern about the dollar. You know, we had this very long protracted rally in the dollar back in uh, 2021, 2022. We had, of course, dollar was extremely overbought here, so not surprising. You have a correction in the dollar. This brought out all the stories about de-dollarization, the end of the dollar is hedge money, et cetera. We told you then, not gonna be a real story, but now we're back into a very bullish trend for the markets, uh, for the dollar. And again, this is gonna continue um, as rates remain high because that attracts inflows into U.S. currency. So the, the longer the interest rates remain high, um, that's going to pull money into U.S. Treasuries because of the disparity between rates between the U.S. Treasury, a place of safety, and every other country in the world. So, again, that's just kind of what's going on by the scenes, but that's what you need to know before the bell. And when we come back from the break, got a lot of other stuff to get into this morning. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the Internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Welcome back to the show this morning. So uh, a couple of things. Um, yesterday, as I was talking about, the ISM manufacturing indexes came in a little bit stronger than expected. And again, you know, there had been a big decline in these manufacturing indexes going back the last several months. And, and of course, you know, we had talked about there were signs of weaker economic growth, those type of things. And we've seen a lot of that in there. And, and we actually even wrote an article about the cycles and why you should expect a turn in these cycles, uh, particularly in like these these indexes, these manufacturing indexes, because they're sentiment based, right? And so we just saw an uptick yesterday, and everybody got all excited in this uptick in the ISM manufacturing index. But you have to understand how these manufacturing indexes work. They're not as optimistic as they sound, and they can certainly have a bounce. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the economy is about to get substantially stronger. Um, if you're selling nothing, right? If, if last month, I'm not just, I'm being a little bit facetious here, but you know, if you sold nothing last month, right? The survey says, well, are you selling more product? It's not asking you how much more product you're selling, just are you selling more or less? These are sentiment surveys. How do you feel about new orders? Well, last month I had no new orders. This month I've got one new order. I feel great, right? So when you take a look at these sentiment surveys, you have to remember that they're based on sentiment. That sentiment can turn very quickly. So we're likely going to see a bounce in these, in these economic surveys over the course of the next few months, both in manufacturing as well as services. And this is going to provide some evidence that the economy is not in a recession. And we're not in a recession right now. The recession's not likely going to be until the latter half of next year. 
because we've got to go through this cycle of stronger economic data because we've had a cycle of weak economic data already. So now we've got to have a cycle of strong economic data before we get back to the weak economic data. So this is going to pull and, and this is going to give more support to the soft landing crowd. It's going to give more support to the, the, to the no landing crowd temporarily because we're about to move into a period of the year where it requires more manufacturing, more services, right? We're about to move into Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas. So we're going to have a lot of data coming in that's going to suggest a pickup in economic activity. Of course, you want to pay attention to the retail, the retail consumer, right? Are they spending more? Now, you're going to get a lot of reports out here pretty soon from the National Retail Federation because, you know, they're the marketing lobby arm for, the, for retailers. They're always optimistic. So they're going to come out and they're going to say, well, uh, retail consumers are expected to spend, you know, five, you know, 15 trillion, whatever the number is this year for, <laughs> for, for shopping. And it's going to be higher than it was last year. It's always higher than it was last year, regardless of what's going on. The predictions are always higher than they, than, than last year, right? It's always optimistic. So the national retail federation will come out that will give us some predictions about retail sales. Everybody's going to get very excited over this. Oh, the consumer's very strong, et cetera. Now, after Christmas, and once we get into January, we'll start to see what the real spending was, and we'll get the real data. But it's going to take a while, because we've got to get that data in, we've got to analyze it, we've got to see it, and, and we've got to see what's actually going on with the retail consumer. But I would suspect that by the time we get into January, February, we're going to find out that probably retail sales this Christmas weren't as strong as, as, as many expected them to be. And that's because these pickup in student loan payments, uh, higher interest rates, higher credit card rates, et cetera, are weighing on the actual consumer. And I, I don't think that's, you know, news to anybody, right? But this is just the way that we go through these economic reports. So, yeah, in the short term, there's going to be a lot of optimism potentially about better performance in the economic data, an upturn in manufacturing, an upturn in services, that's going to help give a lift to the stock market. That'll help kind of, you know, oh, the economy's not as bad as we thought. That's going to be better earnings. Gets us through the end of the year. Now, again, though, these are just cycles. Now, once we get to the next year, now, look, I don't have a crystal ball, right? But we're just talking about cycles. And these cycles can last three to five to six months. But once we get into next year, these higher rates, the lag effect, money supply still contracting, all those things are still in play. Those haven't changed. And that's still all weighing on the consumer. So ultimately, as we get into next year, the risk becomes a lot larger that we're going to have that kind of much weaker economic environment that we've been expecting. It's just been very delayed because of all the money that we threw into the economy during the meltdown and the, and the economic shutdown. And it just takes time for all that support to work its way through the system. You know, we've talked about this before, but, you know, again, it just, you know, we, we forget about where things were and what, what we did. We forget about those things because it's been, you know, three years now. And we start thinking that this is a normal environment. It's not a normal environment. We're not back to normalcy yet. We're still working through the effects of all these things.
But again, because it hasn't happened yet, everybody just assumes that it won't. And that's that's the challenge. And look, maybe it won't happen, right? I don't have, again, I don't have a crystal ball. Nobody does. But, you know, if we take a look at data and we take a look at history and we understand how cycles work, these are just kind of more of the obvious things that are going on. It's very easy to get trapped up into the narrative of the moment. Just like I was talking about a second ago, it was just a few months ago that every headline, CNBC, you know, YouTube videos, et cetera, all about the collapse of the dollar, de-dollarization, and the dollar's been rallying ever since. And now you don't hear those stories anymore. So this is the problem with narratives, right? They, get a, they, get a, they take our focus off of what really matters. What drives rates? What drives stocks? What drives commodities? All these type of things. Takes our focus off that and what drives those long-term issues. And, you know, if you're, if you're looking to make investments, right? Now, if you're trading, that's one thing, right? But if you're looking to make investments, the things that you're going to buy and hold long-term, you know, that's a different bit of, of, of analysis, Value stocks have been under a tremendous amount of pressure this year because everybody wants to own the mega cap stocks, right? Yesterday's market action, good indicator of that. Yesterday, value stocks under a lot of pressure yesterday. The vast majority of the market in the red yesterday. But NVIDIA, Apple, Google, Microsoft, all in the green. Very, very bifurcated market yesterday. But again... Take a look at the overall index. Eh, index was flat yesterday. No big deal. Underneath the surface, much different story. Most all portfolios were down yesterday. Despite the fact that you had seven stocks holding the whole market up and because of their market cap. And this is, again, we go back to talking about the issue with passive investing and all these type of things. The illusion of the market is very different than what's going on in the real economy as well. And so this is the challenge for investors. And, and, and this year has been a very tough year to navigate, but that's just, that's just the environment that we're in at the moment. It's, it's partly due to what we're doing behind the scenes. You know, I'm talking about narratives. Remember this time last year, headlines, FANG stocks are dead. This time last year, FANG stocks are dead. This year... Can't get enough of FANG stocks. Narratives change. What you think is going on today is not going to be going on tomorrow. This time next year, we're going to be talking about an entirely different game in the markets. Don't know what that game will be, but it's not going to be this game. It's probably not going to be seven stocks driving the whole market next year. We're not going to be talking about AI stocks in October of 2024. We're going to be talking about something else, whatever that is. But this is because this is the way markets work. This is the way cycles work. This is the way that investing works. And whatever you think the thing is today will not be the thing tomorrow. And that's the important thing to remember is that these things will change 
and we're going to have to adapt and follow and, and go along with them. But we've got to make some assumptions about what the environment is going to look like in the future. And again, these, these cycle changes that we're seeing right now, certainly well expected. But those are going to change as well. All right. So when we come back from the break, a um, couple other things to get into. Americans are starting uh, to become more reluctant about quitting their job. And, and this, is, this is going to be an important change to the labor market as well, because one of the things that has been helping support the markets and support the views so far has been this story about job openings and this massive gap of job openings relative to the number of employees. And, and we couldn't really kind of figure that math out. Well, now we're starting to figure that math out a bit. So we come back from the break. We'll talk about that and uh, what that potentially means for the outlook going forward as well. Don't go away. More of The Real Investment Show coming right up. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com so job openings have been one of those kind of confounding points of data over the last you know couple of years in particular when we shut down the economy um, you know, we sent everybody home. We said, hey, you can't go to work, can't leave your house. You have to, you know, sit in your house and wear six masks on your face and don't go anywhere, don't talk to anybody. So nobody could work, right? And then we sent everybody checks. So those few people that could work and that were allowed to work and basically called essentials, you know, we had this massive surge in overwhelming demand for those services, particularly food deliveries and those type of things like that, where all of a sudden people had money and there was this big demand for workers to meet that demand. And so we had this massive surge in job openings. And again, we've heard this story a lot from the Fed over the last couple of years is that, you know, well, you know, we have, you know, two times as many job openings as we have workers available to fill them, and we have a super tight labor market, et cetera, so forth and so on. We've, we've talked about this before. I uh, hear a lot of stuff out of the, you know, headlines out of the administration. You know, we've created more jobs than any other president, you know, any other administration in history. We've created 12 million jobs since the pandemic. And none of this is really true. And we've talked about this disparity between the data and what is reality in the past. Uh, 
And then, you know, when, when you, you talk about job openings, as an example, we talked about this before, is that there's a lot of businesses out there, particularly service businesses, that just keep job openings available all the time. They may not be hiring anybody right now, but they have such high turnover in their business, they just keep that job opening out there because they're always kind of collecting applications because they know that in a matter of days or weeks, somebody's going to quit and walk off the job because these are typically uh, younger workers that are, have a very high propensity to just you know get fed up and walk off the job. Um, there was a very interesting uh, picture yesterday of a business owner had a sign up in his window and he says, now, now hiring. Says, I just hired two workers who had their boyfriends, and this was actually written on the sign that was in the window, hired two workers where their boyfriends were standing with them at their workstation all day long talking. I fired them and I'm now looking for workers serious about working and showing up on time. Baby boomers only apply. And, and so this, but this is the environment that we foster the last couple of years is that we have this very high, well, you don't like, you don't like me. I don't like you, whatever it is, I'm going to quit. And I'm just going to go get another job because there were so many jobs available and so much demand, particularly in those lower income generating jobs, right? So, you know, fast food, retail, leisure, those type of things, because that's where all the demand was, right? We gave people money to spend and that's what they were spending it on. So we needed to fill those jobs. So we had a lot of that availability. Now, we have hired back a lot of workers. Hired back being the key word. Our full-time employment, which is incredibly important, in order to support a family, right? Pay your mortgage, pay your car note, put food on the table, raise a couple of kids. You need a full-time job. It's very tough to raise a family on a couple of part-time jobs. Full-time employment is only back to where it was in February of 2020. So all we've done employment-wise is just put everybody back to work that we laid off during the pandemic. Now, during that time, we've had population growth. So we haven't even replaced the new workers coming in. They're still out there. But now companies are going, you know what? I've got all the employees I need. I don't need to hire a lot of employees. Now, I don't want to let go of the employees I've got because I've got good employees. So companies are being much more accommodative in terms of wages, terms of things like work from home, you know, those type of things, right? I want to keep my employees happy and in fact, job satisfaction has risen fairly sharply over the last couple of years because companies are being much more accommodative to keep their workers happy and keep them on the job because they don't want to lose them. But at the same time, I don't have a lot of new, I'm not hiring a lot of new workers. And we're seeing this in the employment data. The employment data is still, you know, what we consider strong, right? But it's slowing. The rate of hires is slowing rather dramatically. And so it's not surprising now that, that employees are going, well, you know what? Um, my job's not terrible, so I'm not going to quit. 
because I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get another job as quickly as I was before. Before, right, back in 2020, when we were trying to get people back to work, there was a thousand jobs open, right? So if I, you know, I don't like you, I'm just going to get another job. And it was easy. And 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 and, and kids could job hop in particular. My, my kids were doing that, right? My kids wait tables at that time. Um, this was their senior year of high school, getting ready to go to college. They were waiting tables. And so if their manager came in and looked at them cross-eyed one day, they just go, I'm out of here. And they could have five more jobs lined up in an hour because every restaurant was just had a dearth of servers, bartenders, you know, cooks, you know, dishwashers, et cetera. I mean, they just couldn't get enough people to meet the demand so they could quit one job and have five more jobs in an hour. That's not as much the case anymore. Still that way in that industry. That industry's got a lot of job hoppers in it, but and there's always kind of a demand in, in you know that you know restaurant business. But in the in the general environment now, retail those type of things, it's starting to slow down. Job openings are starting to fall. In fact, job openings have been declining on a pretty steady basis now. And if we take a look at the median wage growth for job switchers, that's slowing down as well. And then also, it's kind of interesting. So hires, new hires are trending lower, right? So we're not hiring as many people. And again, that kind of goes along with the employment data. If you take a look from the BLS data, kind of on a monthly trend that's been declining. But interestingly enough, the layoffs and discharges have pretty much flatlined. And this goes along with the function of what we're seeing in the jobless claims. Jobless claims remain extremely low. Now, remember, what's a jobless claim? A jobless claim is, is I just got fired. I'm going to go apply for unemployment. My first initial claim that shows up. Well, again, we talk about this labor hoarding that's going on right now. I've got all the employees I need. So as you can see in this chart, I'm not hiring anybody else. But I'm also not laying off anybody either. Right? I've, I've, got, my, I've got my staff. I'm good. My staff is balanced relative to you know, my environment. And this is why during the, uh, during the next recession, when we have one, we may not see a big spike in unemployment. You know, a lot of people are predicting, oh, when, when you know, the recession hits, we're going to have a, you know, a 10% unemployment rate. We might not because companies aren't overemployed. Normally, go after a very strong period of economic growth, companies have taken on a lot of new employees, expecting a lot of future demand. And so because of that, when the recession hits and that demand doesn't show up as they were expecting, they have a lot of people to lay off. We don't have that environment right now. So we might see a recession, and this would be kind of an anomaly of a recession, where you don't have a big spike in unemployment. And that also suggests that your recession won't be that deep, right, because you don't have a big spike in unemployment. But you have a mild recession with a mild uptick in unemployment. And that's probably the type of recession we're looking for sometime in 2024. Probably won't be long-lasting, maybe six months or so, a couple of quarters. Things will slow down. Unemployment will tick up a bit. Fed will have to cut rates. But because we don't have an imbalance of labor in the markets, could be a bit of a milder outlook for that, that recession. So, again, that, that's certainly out there. Um, 
you know, but you know, the the whole issue, you know, as as we've talked about this this you know this extremely strong job openings that we see in these jolt surveys. You know, we've got two times the number of jobs out there available. Uh, as we've talked about before, that was never probably actually true. And again, we don't really have a way to measure how many business owners, you know, out there have a sign in their window that says now hiring. Right? They didn't put an ad on Indeed. They didn't put an ad, you know, you know, we used to in the day if you wanted to to hire somebody, you put an ad in the in the uh, the newspaper. Right. When you remember, they threw it at your doorstep and you'd open it up and you'd read it and get all the pages messed up and it never fold back. Right. It's kind of like a map in the newspaper. <laughs> but we used to be able to measure kind of job openings by measuring the number of, you know, by collecting the data from the newspapers of how many job openings were being posted. Right. But now we've got Indeed and we've got all these other, you know, online job posting sites. But there's still a bunch of, you know, retail owners. They just post a sign in the window that says, hey, I'm looking for somebody that wants to work. Help wanted. How do you count those? How do we know just exactly how many job openings are out there? We don't. It's all a guess. But the reality is, is that. It's likely not as strong as we think. But we're going to see it more kind of, we'll, we'll get a better picture of this once we get into the beginning of next year in particular. Okay, quick break. Come back, wrap up the show. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. So, futures uh, right now. Uh, Another kind of weak opening setting up this morning, at least uh, at the moment. Um, yields up, stocks down, kind of the same repeat as of yesterday uh, at the moment, at least uh, for the open. Again, these things have been changing, though. You know, we open week, we rally into the end of the day. You know, kind of uh, depends on on kind of what the storyline is going to be. But uh, right now, we still have this kind of this resetting uh, of the markets a bit. So. Again, not not surprising that we're still kind of going through this, but but again, you know, markets are getting pretty oversold here, um, just from a negative negative sentiment standpoint as well. Negativity is getting pretty deep, so uh, again, be a little bit careful here. <clears throat> you know, re- reacting too much to kind of what headline data is, um, particularly because we've got a lot of it coming out here over the next uh, you know two three weeks. We've got CPI coming up, we've got PCI uh, PCE coming up, we got a lot of stuff. Uh, coming out. And then at the end of the month, we've got another Fed meeting. So uh, again, this is going to be, you know, that's the big question. Is the Fed going to hike again, not going to hike again, et cetera. But right now, markets certainly remaining volatile, um, getting oversold here short term. But again, doesn't mean that, you know, they're going to bounce today. But we're probably getting to that point where we're about to at least get a bounce in the markets because um, we've had a pretty 
um, extended period of selling here in the markets, and we've had a lot of positioning uh, being pulled off the books. There was about $137 billion in liquidation going into the end of the year, which, you know, it, when the market bounces, there's about $187 billion that's got to get bought back by CTA. So there's a good bit of buying setting up. And again, you know, what you need is a little bit, little bit of a catalyst. You need something to, you know, kind of pull the view away from just, you know, uh, doom and gloom, and that'll be earnings. And so next week, we'll kick off earnings. And once kind of earnings season gets underway, that'll at least divert the view of the market into other areas. But right now, it's uh, simply about stronger economic data, concerns about inflation uh, resurging. But there's really no evidence that inflation is resurging right now. It's just um, fear that it might come back. And, and again, a bounce in inflation wouldn't be surprising. As we've talked about before, nothing goes in a straight line. So, you know, if you have a lower trend of inflation or a lower trend of economic growth or a lower trend of employment, right, it doesn't mean that it's going to go straight down. You're going to get bounces along the way. So you're going to get these periods where you have, for instance, in the manufacturing indexes that we were talking about earlier, you're getting a little bit of bounce in the economic indicators. Not surprising. They've been under a lot of pressure for months now. We've had a very long stretch of data being under a lot of pressure, economically speaking. So not surprising you're going to get a bit of a bounce. People run out of stuff. They got to buy stuff. You know, they, they, they drive their cars until the wheels fall off of them. They've eventually got to buy a new car. You know, so there's just these periods where the, the economy can't just keep grinding lower month after month after month after month. You're going to have these periods where you're going to get these bounces in the data. That doesn't necessarily mean we're about to have a massive recovery. It could, right? But it probably is just a bounce within a continued downtrend. But this is just kind of where the markets are right now and, and what they're dealing with. So certainly a lot of pressure. Certainly, you know, you can't... Uh, can't deny what's kind of going on. It's just, it is what it is. But just understand that things are getting pretty extended on the downside here. So, you know, deviations from moving averages, et cetera, are getting much, much more extreme. Uh, typically a bit of a setup here for at least a counter trend rally, at least a counter trend rally. Then at that point, you can kind of make the decision of what you want to do next and kind of reposition and those type of things. That's why, you know, we've been uh, you know, working through our portfolios lately, kind of, you know, trimming out some things, adding to some other things, trying to reduce the number of holdings, um, you know, trying to take advantage of where we think the market will be in three months. Again, it's a guess. It's always a guess of where we think we'll be in three months. But, you know, trying to position for what that potentially looks like. Uh, look, things could change and we may have to unwind everything we just did. That could be the case. But, you know, hopes are that, you know, the technicals continue to provide short term kind of a, a roadmap uh, for the markets and kind of help us position uh, accordingly. So, you know, one of the, the interesting things that, you know, is out there, too, is commercial real estate, which is continuing under a tremendous amount of pressure. And that's a very different environment than, you know, what we've seen before, because, this whole work from home thing has changed the need for commercial real estate. Blackstone Real Estate has had, they have a, a big, massive real estate portfolio, and Blackstone um, has been a major player in the 
consumer uh, in the commercial real estate space for years. Um, and, and this is one of the the big drivers of that business. Commercial real estate has always been, in the past, has always been a surefire bet, right? I build an office somewhere in, in, in a good place. Tenants are going to show up. They're going to fill it. They're going to pay me rent. Uh, the rents that I have cover my cost of operations and my and my debt service, and then and then and and the value of that real estate increases over time, and eventually I sell the building off and I make a ton of money. Commercial real estate has been a slam dunk for a century <laughs> until we decided to all of a sudden shut down the economy and create an environment where everybody could work from home. Now, all of a sudden, commercial real estate has a real challenge for the first time because we built, you know, we talked about in, you know, 2008, the problem with commercial real estate here in Houston. And, you know, at that time, we were seeing, you know, companies that were leasing space in a building. They might lease the entire building. But then all of a sudden, as we were in 2006, 2007, they were, they were building their own buildings. And we had buildings just going up everywhere. And then in, in heading into 2018, 2019, we had a lot of companies building buildings. And, and this is always kind of that exuberant moment in the economy. And there's, a, there's a, a building indicator, right? When you see a lot of big buildings being built, that's typically a sign of kind of economic exuberance. But 2018, 2019, we saw a lot of the same thing. We saw, you know, we had 6 million square feet of vacant office space in Houston, right? You drive by a building, you like look right through the building. But expectations were it was going to fill up. Well, and that was until we shut down the economy. Now we've got a lot of buildings that are still empty. And companies like Blackstone that have a massive portfolio of real estate are trying to figure out what to do with it. You know, we've, we've seen, you know, lately commercial uh, buildings being converted into residential buildings. And we're seeing that that move now. So it's like, hey, well, we couldn't lease it out as office space. We'll convert this, you know, empty office space building we have into high-rise apartments. Mall space. Trying to People are trying to figure out what to do with mall spaces because people, you know, they're not going to the mall, right? So... It's the real estate for the first time, and you know, so really, I shouldn't say the first time because we had a re residential real estate issue in the 2008 crisis, and now we've got this commercial real estate issue going on because of this, these moves that we've made to you know, change the face of how we work and how we operate. And the, and the problem for a lot of companies is that they would like to have their employees back to work. The problem is if you try to force them, they quit <laughs> and go somewhere else. So, you know, at some point, you know, maybe, comp maybe companies will, again, kind of leverage their strength when there aren't as many job openings available. Maybe they'll be able to leverage employees to go back to work, fill those office spaces back up, get commercial real estate back on its feet. Maybe, I don't know. Or maybe this new work from home thing is the new paradigm and it can completely changes the face of, you know, commercial real estate in the future. I don't know. 
Interest rates certainly aren't helping the, this situation right now. But, you know, this is the, the challenge that real estate investors are going to face. You know, again, for a long time, commercial real estate was a slam dunk investment. Multifamily apartments was a slam dunk investment. We now have a massive oversupply of apartments. And new ones getting built every day. The problem is you need to be able to charge the rent to support that supply. The more supply you have, the less rent you can charge. It's, it's, it's kind of a bad mix. So again, it, you know, it's, this is kind of the point that we always kind of go through is that not, you know, a, a particular investment structure is not always the best investment structure forever. You know, it's, you know stocks go through cycles. Bonds go through cycles. They're going through a cycle now. Um, so do, so does real estate. So does commodities. So does everything else. And it's always just important that you know these cycles will end. And what they look like on the other side, I have no idea. What's going to be the outcome for commercial real estate? It'll probably be fine. We'll go through a period where there's a lot of liquidation, a lot of conversion. We'll get to a dearth of commercial real estate space at some point. And then the demand for commercial real estate will come back. When that cycle is, who knows? But I think what's interesting is, is that this inability to force employees to come back to work is going to create this overhang on commercial real estate for longer than many expected. All right, wraps up the show for the day. Uh, be back tomorrow. Danny Ratliff joining me in the morning for uh, talking about everything else outside of the markets. We'll do that in the morning with Danny Ratliff. Of course, get by the website. My latest article is out today talking about, hey, government shutdown was averted, but was it really a good thing to avert one? It's on the website this morning, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow.